0: Acts chapter 3, verse 17, to the end of the chapter. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. in whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days you are the sons of the of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of all the earth Be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you make your word effective, that you would truly turn us away from our wickedness, that we would be refreshed by your presence, and that our hope would be in the restoration of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's a saying when I was growing up that a lot of times if you overheard in a conversation some kind of new bits of information or there was some kind of new technology or uh, maybe sometimes it was just some kind of news report and you were like what did that just happen or what do you mean that just occurred somebody might respond with what have you been living under a rock or have you been living in a cave i don't hear that phrase very much today any of you all ever heard of that before younger people You've been living under a rock like you're some kind of reptile <laughs> that's been left behind and there are other things going on. And it's a, it's a, a bit of a, a joke to say that, but it's a, a bit of a criticism like, what are you, you're not on top of things? Are you not aware of things? Are you behind? No one wants to be in that kind of place. People like to be um, up to date um, One of the most irritating things I get, though, is my phone telling me I always need to update my apps. I don't find it to be a very positive thing. But, of course, you can't function if you're not up to date. Everybody wants to be up to date and aware, and no one wants to be uh, considered antique or behind the times. Everybody wants to be fresh with what's going on. And in this day of information, um, we have so many things that are going on. Um, that we feel like we have to stay on top of. It can be quite frustrating to be up to date. Um, In our home, we often, um, when I'm gone, especially during the week, when we get back together and we have everyone together um, after talking or reading through the Word and maybe talking about something in the Word, we often like to talk about news headlines, things that we have heard, whether it's some of the kids are reading uh, world magazine or or i've been listening to the world and everything in it or other news things or uh, maybe some gossipy kind of things that we may have heard here and there in different conversations sometimes we have to be really careful because it's a fine line just to update people of current events and then you can get very easily into a point of gossip and criticism and so uh, sometimes we find ourselves very quickly having to admonish one another Um, in our opinions and how quickly we go um, astray from just updating one another. This week, there were two particular quotes that I heard, and I'm going to refrain from saying the names of the people who said these things, but it's pertaining to two Olympians um, who are in the news right now and if you really want to dig it up and look but because of the propensity of people to, to go into great judgments um, in either direction of these people I would prefer you to just hold back in that particular conclusions but just look at the particular quotes that had the opportunity um, either through a tweet or through some kind of interview that had been proclaimed in different news outlets I've seen both of these quotes in different formats from television to the computer I've seen these Quotes being referenced when talking about these particular news stories related to the Olympics. And I want you to think about the worldview that is embodied inside of these particular quotes. Now, as we go into this particular passage, I just also want to reference, because before you might thinking, where is he going with this? The beginning of this particular passage was talking about the ignorance that the high priests and the rulers had to go and crucify Jesus, they, it almost seems like that they were living under a rock, that they didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God. But today, we continue in the same manner, I think, in how we view the world, and how we view our roles in the world. And I think these two contrasting quotes are, are very representative of where we are today and how we view our lives and how we see our world. This one quote was from Olympian this week. It says, I know that this Olympic Games, I want to be for myself. I came in and it felt like I was still doing it for other people. So that just hurts my heart that doing what I love has been kind of taken away from me to please other people. And here's another Olympian who won a gold medal. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Now those are two very powerfully distinctive quotes from very hard-working Olympians. Now both of these people have gone through tremendous sacrifices and hard work to be the champions that they are in many ways. But it's interesting that as their stories got into the news for different reasons, they had an opportunity to convey to the world a particular world view of how they saw their actions in light of all that was going on. It is clear that one particular person, and I I don't want to judge their overall life and soul, but at least the quote represents that it was heavily for themselves, that they sought victory or the opportunity to be in that place in that time for themselves. And the other who broke a world record said the records will come and go. here in an opportunity to, again, point to themselves, said, this is going to pass away one day. The glory of God will be eternal. Now, the reason why I think these are such good contrasts is because I think inundated in the church today is primarily the first quote, this myself, that I'm doing these things for myself. And I I always have to make an asterisk, and I don't mean this in a belittling way, but I know that it's necessary to say that sometimes people have lived in such abusive oppression in their life that they do need to break away from how people have abused them and harmed them, and they need to seek help and healing for themselves. But the doctrine that has come into the church, which is really an old age-old doctrine from the very beginning when Satan was lying to Eve, that it's about me, that it's about my glory. It's about my purpose and point. And now it's actually an excuse to break away many times from our responsibilities that I need some me time. Well, this kind of worldview is ignorant to the reality of what the other person saw. That life is ultimately about the glory of God that there is something greater and bigger than me here, and that everything that I am doing is just another opportunity to bring glory to his name. So my calling and my gifts and my abilities all belong to him. He says, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. The victory and the prize that that Olympian saw was far greater than this particular moment. This moment, this response was more potent to this Olympian. This opportunity to proclaim the glory of God was greater than even the record itself and the recognition. She was only using the platform As an opportunity to point to the glory and grace of God. As we go into this particular passage, we want to be interpreting and reading this passage carefully. I always think that the Pharisees and the high priests, they get a bad rap because we're thinking, man, they're just really messed up. How could they have done that? And we might think, how could they have been ones to crucify Jesus? How could they have made themselves the enemy of Jesus Christ and his purposes and his kingdom? It might even remind us, as we are thinking about this, what Jesus said to Peter when Peter thought that he would even tell Jesus, Hey, listen, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't suffer and die. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. That even that, anything that gets away from the purpose and point and glory of Jesus' glory and going to the cross and raising from the dead is a work of Satan. So the question is, when we look at this passage, how much are we more like the rulers and the high priests? And what is the hope for us if we are those people? Now, I gave a broader context last time, and I didn't get a chance to break down, and I want to really focus on the particular verse here that I think is really one of the best verses of encompassing the fullness of the gospel there in 19. It says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. That's a long sentence, but I highlighted last week how there are four particular <clears throat> principles being focused on here that all start with R. First of all, repentance. And then there is redemption. Redemption. And then there is refreshment and reconciliation. But I want to highlight today the word refreshment because that's a very encouraging word. And I want to ask you all, as you consider this passage and consider the gospel being portrayed and presented in this passage, what refreshes you about the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you think about the fact that you're a Christian and you're here today to worship God, and I'm sure that you're seeking refreshment, you're not just seeking the nice bakery goods that the males brought this morning, maybe. I mean, it's a good reason to come alone, but there's other good reasons to come. I would assume that you're here in part out of obedience and duty as a Christian but that you would hope to receive some sort of refreshment from the truth of God, that you would receive some kind of refreshment from the people of God. But in reality, are you seeking refreshment in things that come from the kingdom of God? Here in the middle of this passage, Peter is talking about to do this, to respond in repentance to the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that you may receive a season of refreshing. What does that mean according to God's word? And is that what you seek? What does it mean in light of this? There's nowhere else in that I have found in the New Testament that the sermon is presented refreshing exactly in this way. There are many times where Peter and Paul are talking about how I was refreshed by the saints here or there, or how this person refreshed me in this ministry. There is the recognition and the thanksgiving to other people in the church for being refreshed by the love of the saints. But this is the only time that I've found, and I could be wrong if you find it, please let me know. I've been looking for it, so I'm hoping that I'm not overlooking it. But it's an interesting concept that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings refreshment. And I think that's one of the things that draws us to the, to the gospel, that draws us to Jesus. We don't, we don't just go to Jesus so that we can be beat up by reminding, being reminded of how wicked we are. We don't, oh man, I'm just looking forward to that. Just hit me again right here. Just hit me. No, we, we are drawn by the, the positive refreshment. But here in the gospel, Peter is telling those, his audience, who are those who are Jews, those who have been given the covenants and the promises of God, that you are actually been acting in ignorance. You've been acting in unbelief. And therefore, to get away from that, you need to repent. You need to change how you are thinking. You need to think about something else. And you will be refreshed by something. What do you think he's talking about? What, give me an example of what you think Peter is talking about in this passage that will bring refreshment to the people of God if they repent of their sins. Well, that's a big question, isn't it? Well, there are in transition time from the Old Testament and all the sacrifices and just year after year week after week all that blood flowing and if they could have the scales off their eyes removed they would recognize that Jesus was the Lamb of God he took away the sins of the world it's done so how refreshing now to instead of having to go and place your hands I don't remember the people placed their hands on the animals but they were bringing in they were buying them they were handing them over to the priests to be killed that's no more. What a refreshing thing that would be to now come, like what we get to do, and to look backwards at what was done and, and just know our sins are forgiven, they were taken away once for all, and we can be now built up and encouraged instead of a blood. That the Messiah has come, that the hope that they have had, that the sacrifices, the shadows of sacrifices have now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I think that we see that is a good answer there. I think if you look back and you look at the verse right before it, it says that what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. That this is the fulfillment of the Messiah. But is that what refreshes? Is that what refreshes you when you think about The gospel of Jesus Christ Does your mind go To the necessity Of Bringing an atonement Before God Because God is righteous and good Is that where our mind Goes I would contend that many Times our mind often goes To very particular Circumstances of our lives Now I do want to say before I Go down this road that God is not saying that, I mean, obviously he is very personal. We are particularly made by him. Our lives are in his providence and care. He makes particular paths and plans for us. We know that from his word. He does care specifically for us, and he does come to our particular needs. But does our mind go toward that reality that here in this moment for the Jews they have been the people of promise. Are we considering ourselves the people of promise that we are hoping in the fact that Jesus made atonement before a righteous and holy God? I want to read out of Ephesians chapter 4 about, again, recognizing this, this um, uh, calling that he, he gives them or this um, Accusation that he gives them by calling them to be acting as those in ignorance. It says in Ephesians, and this is Paul now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say this, I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Do... ...to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that it is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires." And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. What we see here with Paul is that he's actually merging two different things for us that is somewhat something we can relate to, and then I think something that we don't dwell upon like we should, but which is the solution for our hope. What he's saying here is that he's now talking about Gentiles instead of talking about the Jews. He says that don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, in their ignorance. Because their ignorance is based upon hardness of heart. And that hardness of heart leads them to be callous people, to be those who are full of sensuality and greedy and hungry and lustful for every kind of impurity. So the ignorance is matched with unbelief, and that unbelief bears forth a fruit of sinfulness. And so the same is applicable to those here in this particular audience, that this ignorance, this hardness of heart, is really at the core of the problem. It's not just that they weren't enlightened about Jesus, but it wasn't just that they weren't enlightened either. It's it's both. And here is the merger of, of Paul bringing it together that ignorance is based upon two particular things. The condition of your heart and the absence of Jesus Christ and the reality of who he is. And so when we, as we read this and we think about the worldview of how we see the world and how we understand our life, Do we go to Jesus Christ with those two things as being the center of what we are seeking refreshment? Do we go to Jesus Christ praying and hoping that he does make it clear to us how sinful we are? Did you come here today looking forward to being told how wrong you are about something in your life today. Like, man, I can't wait to get there. Like, when I get there, probably somewhere, it, sometimes it's not the sermon, I sometimes don't get the sermon, sometimes I don't even, I'm not even awake during the sermon. Maybe it's going to be during a song, or maybe it's going to be through a reading of the passage, or maybe it's going to be through a conversation with somebody. But I pray, God, that somewhere today that I will be refreshed, by the conviction of my sin, that somewhere you will search out my heart and you will put a spotlight on how I am thinking or feeling or acting or doing something that's sinful and opposed to your will. That's typically not what, we're not looking to be wrong most of the time. But that is where the refreshment is. That is what Peter is telling his audience, he's saying, repent so that there may be refreshing. Now that refreshment isn't going to come from me just logically or someone in your life or somewhere logically bringing and pointing out to your sin. The refreshment in the context of this particular passage has to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on in all of this event. Is that the the church is being established and it's being established by the movement of the Holy Spirit through the promise and the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has been now given to the people so that repentance may be granted by the convicting and the cutting of the hearts. And if we are those who come here and we're wanting to get further away from our ignorance further away from the former way of life, further away from the worldly thinking and the worldly worldview that it's all about ourselves, one of the things that we should be longing for as we long for refreshment is to be broken, to be exposed, to be proven that our worldview is wrong. Most of us would hope to be like the second Olympian there that is going to point to the glory of God. But most of us are really more about the first quote. We are really focused on wanting to do it for ourselves. That will even take this particular time. I do it all the time. I'm always looking for an opportunity for my validity to come from someone telling me, oh, you did a good job, Charles. And then if I don't think that's going to happen because... I don't feel like I'm clear-headed or I don't feel like I've got something that's going to excite people. Then I start getting anxious about that. I get worried about what kind of response. I am not going to get the praise that I'm hoping for today because this sermon's not going to be that exciting. Who am I here to worship when that happens? But where do you find refreshment? I want to take a moment to confess, just a moment, that this particular week has been a week of conviction for me. Knox and I, as were traveling up the road, I shared this with Brian yesterday. I was listening to a book by Paul Tripp on leadership. And in that particular book, he's hitting all these particular weaknesses that leaders have and that you need to be looking for. And, and because we are called to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be repenting of these things and we should be seeking obedience and healing and refreshment from God transforming us. He started talking about eating food and gluttony and being out of shape. And it stressed me out so much I was looking for things to snack. You know, as I'm going to listen to this, <laughs> what is going on? I have to be told about this. I was hoping, you know, all this other stuff is pretty good. I've, I've got parameters up for this. I've been doing that. I'm not so good there, but I'm, I'm working on that. And I'm like, well, maybe he'll only talk about it for a few minutes. And, man, he went on and on about gluttony and about being out of shape and and about being unhealthy. And he was connecting it to failure, to being a faithful leader, a faithful pastor. And I was exposed because he was using the Bible. I've had two occasions like that in my life. One of them was a book that Jonathan gave me about rest. And at that particular time in my life, I did feel like I was not getting enough rest. I was staying up late, even in preparation of sermons, I was staying up later and I was just doing a lot of things and not getting a lot of sleep. I had, my little phone was telling me that I was averaging close to five hours of sleep a night. And then when I got that book, the thing about it is I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you need to get your sleep, you need to get rest. But that particular book connected it to the gospel calling. And he pointed out in the scriptures how it was unfaithful to the glory of Jesus Christ and the calling that he has given to us in living out our life when we do not trust him by submitting ourselves to faithful rest. And I was convicted. I was laid low. I told Jonathan that. And I, it was one of the first things that I ever listened to that actually changed my life with my rest. And I have. I've changed when I go to sleep. And I, I now get closer to seven hours of sleep instead of closer to five hours of sleep at night. And guess what? I am refreshed. <laughs> I feel refreshed. And because I feel refreshed, when I'm listening to people, when I'm ministering to them, I'm not as disconnected. <laughs> I'm not as cloudy headed. I'm able to think of passages more clearly. I don't get as irritated. I still get irritated sometimes. I still have sin. But I have greater patience and long suffering in dealing with my family and dealing with one another in my life. In doing my job more faithfully, when I'm reading the scriptures, I'm able to be more clear-headed. So that conviction of sin through the Word of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit brought a true physical refreshment for me. And I'm anticipating, as it did change my eating habits that week, as you know, I love to go on trips so I can go out to eat. It did change And keep me from going back for that second plate. Didn't eat as much each day. And I'm hopeful that there's going to be a refreshment. Because I think all of you all know that I could lose quite a few pounds. Now, that's kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But I think that's something that I felt that in the timing of this particular passage that needed to be conveyed to you because it was a failure and I did not realize it was a failure. I felt like there was a liberty to enjoy food and to eat in that way because it didn't seem to be harming other people. But because of how Paul Tripp laid it out biblically that inside of the kingdom of God that everything that you do should be for his glory And everything that you do should be equipping you in the preparation for whatever you do to build up the kingdom and the people in that kingdom. Well, if I die, I'm not going to be very effective at my job. If I am weak and unable to pay attention or be able to take care of my children, my wife, or the church with strength and with focus, I am failing at my ministry calling. Now, I brought up the Olympians because they, in their particular jobs and in their particular giftings, they have to train, they have to be disciplined, they have to do particular things. But in both of them, they're being very successful at their discipline and their purposes. But one is recognizing that everything that they're doing is for the glory of God. And the other one seems to be pointing more to themselves, which has an effect on what they do. And on how the kingdom will grow in and through them. Paul here points out that the contrast of those who are living in ignorance, they are consumed with sin, but their their primary healing and primary hope is not going to be just that they discipline themselves out of it. They must see here, as it says in Ephesians, that they must be taught about Jesus Christ. It says, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus. And so in contrast to your sin, have you put on Jesus? And this Jesus that you're putting on, who is this Jesus? Who do you say he is? Is he just someone there to massage you in your particular endeavors for your own glory? Or are you there to work and to serve and to sacrifice for his glory. Because assuming that you've heard about Jesus and that you were taught faithfully in him, you would know that Jesus is about a whole lot more than us. That he's about a whole lot more than our particular emotions and our particular struggles in life. Let me read another quote from that same second Olympian, and I think this is a good fruit of where her particular focus is. She says, Some days, the friendship and the support are through the roof. Others, you wouldn't even know it was there, especially in a world full of inconsistency. It is such a breath of fresh air to find true stability in Jesus. As humans, we are constantly shifting our efforts toward one another based upon or based off emotions, In circumstances is your relationship with Jesus Christ a consistent relationship knowing that he is the Messiah that he is the one who is making atonement for our sins that he is the one mediating on our behalf at this very moment so that we may have the ability to be in the presence of a righteous and Holy Father Is that your focus? Or is your particular focus, Jesus, help me this day because I was really hoping for this one thing or I was really wanting to have some peace today and it's just been difficult and I'm all strung out and full of anxiety and I need some peace right now. I need some me time, Jesus. Can you help me out? A lot of our prayers, I think, are more in that particular context. And I appreciate what this Olympian said here. It's like, you know, the world is full of instability. There is no consistency. It's such a fresh breath of fresh air when we look at the stability of Jesus Christ. When we recognize that it is His glory that all of these things are occurring for, that even in our suffering, in our difficulty... We can press on. How many people in difficult marriages press on in their obedience because they seek God's glory to be shown in a faithful commitment to their particular calling? Or because their spouse is sinful or sloppy or has done something against them, they go, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to do the same thing for myself. If they can do that, I can do that. That is typically the response that a lot of people have in their marriages, and that's a lot of the responses that we have with work. How many people, Lydia just got a job at Rule King, and she said the number one problem with shoplifting is not the customer. It's the people in the store. And so they put all of these precautions up and all these reminders to highlight that stop stealing from your employer. Well, why why does that happen? Well, a lot of times it starts out like this. Like, man, they don't appreciate anything I do. I'm not getting paid anything hardly. I'm getting getting paid minimum wage. They're making all kinds of profit off of me. It doesn't matter if I take this thing or I take this thing. It's a reaction to the failure of other people's covenants. And we go, okay, well, because they're inconsistent, then I can act this way. Because the police are acting this way, sometimes they have these situations where they're abusive. I'm not going to give them respect. In fact, I don't even think that we should pay them. I mean, you can see how it starts getting into our politics and how we think. This person does this something wrong, then therefore I'm not going to care about it anymore. My dad does this thing. He's not always consistent. My dad doesn't always obey the speed limit. So why do I have to obey the speed limit? We base all of our decisions off of the inconsistencies of one another. What a horrible life to be living, to be tossed to and fro, to be just given over to our desires, and it's acting in ignorance, that we don't get the reality that Jesus has come. Jesus is king. What Peter is telling those there is that the one that everything is based upon, everything the the promises were based upon, everything that you supposedly have been studying in reading the Old Testament in the covenant promises, it's been fulfilled in Jesus, and here he is. And you all crucified him, so therefore repent so that you may be refreshed and that you may have the presence of the Lord. And we are in the exact same place, though we're further along down on the stream. We, as Christians, have supposedly by our confession and by our upholding of God's word, we believe that Jesus is the ruler of all things. We believe that he is the king. We've all said it. But then we act in ignorance in how we perceive the world. This is the battle that we have. Our battle with unbelief is a battle of ignorance. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth from a sincere, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fa- the excuse me. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Where we would find our hope is as we repent of our ignorance is to find our hope by dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. It tells us in his word that we are to have the mind of Jesus Christ. How are we to have the mind of Jesus Christ if we're always praying in context of Jesus to be helping you about your particular pursuits and your particular desires? We need to have that reversed. We need to see that in context that as we are in the word of God we are being transformed that our thoughts are being made captive to his kingdom. That is what Peter is preaching here is to tell those that Jesus is here and where your refreshment will be is in submission to his kingdom. And your longing of hope will be not on just getting through the day or being successful or being able to make a world record, but that the restoration of the kingdom may be accomplished in part through your obedience and submission to the glory of Jesus Christ. What will be remembered about that second Olympian a thousand years from now? It might be. Maybe that Olympian will be able to keep their world record until the end of the world. But the things that have been said there are more potent and powerful, at least more true, whether people will hold to them in this culture today, than anything that she does. In your life, the things that you're praying for, just as we read there in the gospel today, Are you seeking Jesus for those perishable things that are going to fade away? And when you don't get them, does it cause you complete despair? When those things are not fulfilled, if you go to Jesus expecting that He's going to multiply something for you that is perishable, and He doesn't do that, but instead He convicts you about your sin, does that put you into a tailspin? of your faith and hope in him. We shouldn't be concerned that we're just living under a rock. Our question should be, are we standing upon the rock? Because it says in Matthew chapter seven, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do the mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, it's not in the signs that are going to be the proof of whether or not we are following after him. It's whether or not the law of God has cut our heart. And has transformed us. He's saying that I don't know you if you do not know me. But it says further in verse 24 everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. See, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned. That is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We are called to repent of our ignorance. It's not so much that we are under a rock in a, in a cave and not full of the knowledge of the world, but it's that we're not being filled with the knowledge of the rock of our salvation if we were being filled by the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his word and spirit, I believe our proclamation of the gospel would be more potent in the lives around us as a church today. We see today that people are quickly moving to whatever they see on the news. They're willing to shut their churches down and they're willing to silence What is truth, and they are willing to say what is evil is good based upon whatever kind of news is being proclaimed by the world. But if we were a people who were solid in the gospel and in the law and the love of Jesus Christ, that would not be so. It would be like when these particular winds would hit. And these particular storms would come our way. There would not be any movement amongst those who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. They would stand like a beacon of light against these storms. But we are faltering in this age. So we need to be the first to repent. Because we are the ones with the promises of God. We need to transform what we seek our refreshment in, not in just perishable things. This table is something of a perishable thing because it has physical bread in a cup of wine and juice. And those things will pass. But the gospel of Jesus Christ that these things represent will never pass. Do not seek your refreshment in just the things that will pass. But seek the refreshment of the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And if you are those, if this is the truth that you say you proclaim, then respond. Longing for repentance. Looking for the transformation that's going to occur in your life. That your life will reflect more of Jesus' life. Pray each day that the Lord will prove you wrong. Pray each day that he would stop you from continuing being consumed by your own kingdoms. Now, that's easy to say in just generic terms. And I do not have the audacity or the authority to sit here and say, you know, you need to start doing that right now. And maybe in some personal conversation, we would have that opportunity If God gave us the opportunity in that person's life, do that to yourself here. As you go to this table, displaying to the world that you hope in Jesus, do that to yourself. Point out your sins to yourself and say, Lord, take this. Take this sin of mine, transform it. My hope is not in perishable things. Take this and transform me to be in the likeness of your glory. Let us do so now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your table. We thank you for the truths that you manifest in your gospel and the proclamation of what you have told your people in your word. Father, we ask that you would make these things fruitful and effective so that your glory may be known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing and thank God for all the things that He has provided. Glory be to the Father.